My name is Napuni Wijayakrama and I'm a 24-year-old young social entrepreneur in Canberra. Nip is the most visible face and voice of Gigi's Flowers, a florist she started with her stepmother Geetha. Gigi's Flowers is a social enterprise florist that provides meaningful employment for people with special needs. They started Gigi's specifically with Guyana in mind, Nip's youngest sister who has Down syndrome. Since their humble beginnings in the bathroom of their home, the business has grown, and with it, Nip's public profile. In 2014, Nip was named Young Canberra Citizen of the Year, and in 2016, she was ACT Young Australian of the Year. All of which is to say, she's been in front of a lot of cameras, and is no stranger to speaking to crowds of hundreds. But today, it was just me and her and my microphone on the carpeted floor of one of her sister's bedrooms. Welcome to Love Canberra, a show about love, sex, and relationships here in the heart of the nation. I'm Ivana Ho. Nip was born and raised in Canberra, but her family is from Sri Lanka. Shortly after she came along, her parents divorced. So as you were growing up then, you kind of spent like half the week with your mother and half the week with your father? or Yeah, but if I remember correctly, it was actually quite a lot harder. It was like one day with my mum and one day with my dad and one day with my mum and one day with my dad. So I've always apparently enjoyed a fast-paced uh, life, but I kind of look back and I think, oh my God, I have no idea how I did that. Because um, it's really hard to remember, you know, your PE gear and your you know, your excursion notes and everything like two days in advance. Mm. I was listening, I think I was, it was an interview that I was listening to possibly with um, Alex Sloan of ABC Radio Canberra where you said that that kind of situation, I can't remember if you said that it made you a very organised person or it made your parents very organised. It made me. Okay. It didn't make my parents very organised. It made <laughs> me very organised. Um, so I'm very organised. I'm still always late and I'm still never on top of everything, but it made me very organized and also I think quite analytical. So I know I plan a lot Mm -hmm. and um, I'm always very routine based and I'm very set in my plans. And when I generally, when I set a plan, I will execute the plan. So yeah. Mm. So if you're kind of moving back and forward between the two houses or households, when would you have started doing that, do you think? Or has it just sort of been happening for as long as you can remember? I think it's been happening for all I can remember. I think that during the week I would spend, when I was younger, I would spend a lot more time with my mum just because it was a little bit more of a stable environment and, you know, I would get my homework done and all, all that stuff and then, um, she always says I would go off with my dad to have fun <laughs> over the weekends and stuff. Um, but yeah, so for all I can remember, I've kind of floated between the two. Nip's father remarried to Geetha, and when Nip was four, they had a child, the first of three girls. I guess because your parents divorced when you were so young, 
you obviously haven't known any other life. Mm. Um, when I guess this sort of thing happens to people when they're older, they really feel a separation between like their step family and like their other family. It sounds like you've never really had that. Yeah, I, I think maybe when I'm, I was young, because you, you know, you're very vulnerable when you're younger. I think I thought that there was a bit of a divide, and sometimes you can kind of tell. But I think as I grew up, and especially as, um, you know, I'm in business with my stepmom. I never kind of really felt that divide and I call my sisters my sisters and they call me their sisters and they don't say stepsisters. I don't say that either. Um, so it all was quite fluid. And do you call your stepmom mum? Uh, no, I just call her by her name. Which, you know, I mean, when you're in business, you're talking to clients and everything and they don't want you to be going, oh, my stepmom or my mum or whatever. So yeah. we just call each other by our names. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So have you always felt like the big sister? Yeah, for sure. I've always been quite mature and I've always been quite um, organised and I have the characteristics of an elder sister, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, always felt like that. And um, I'm, I think that because there's such quite a big age gap between mm-hmm. us, all like me and Rangana have uh, four years, but me and my youngest sister, who I'm quite close with, we have almost seven years. But you can't really tell. But I'm definitely a bigger sister because I'm, you know, forever lecturing and forever telling her what to do and and all that stuff. So you were five years old when your younger sister, Guyana, came along? Yes. Yes. I think that's how old I was. Yeah. And do you remember much about when she was born? No, I have no idea. I, I can't even remember. But what I do remember is from a very young age, I took to her. Like I have I've never really been fascinated by babies or anything and still I'm not to this day, but I just took to her and she took to me and we've always been quite close. And as we got older, it's been more, but you know, we, we people often say that we look like each other too. I think that's really sweet. So yeah, I never knew any different. I knew never. I knew she was different, but I didn't kind of put two and two together or anything like that. But um, it's funny how we've gone on and been very close together. Mm. So do you think that you're closer to Guyana than your other sisters? Yeah, for sure. So Guyana and I quite often sneak into each other's beds and, you know, we share bathroom and we um, we sometimes even share clothes these days and you know, we go to the same gym and I spend a lot of time with her. So we're definitely closer, yeah. What do you think it is that makes you guys closer to each other? I don't know. I've never really thought about it. I think that, you know, we like the same things. I obviously care about her a lot. I'm not saying I don't care about my sisters, but I just feel like this incredible sense of um, I need to be her advocate and I want to be there for her and everything like that. But also I just really enjoy her company and I'd like to think she enjoys mine. I think that we, you know, we want to do the same things. We enjoy the same things. And for her, she otherwise wouldn't get to do some of that stuff. So with me, she does. So, Mm. yeah. At what point growing up did you realise that Guyana had special needs? I don't know. I'm not too sure when I came to the realisation that Guyana had special needs. I assume my parents told me and I assume that was the case. But I think I always, and I still feel it this like to this day, I always feel a great 
deal of um, need to be there for her because I know that, you know, like everyone else can kind of fend for themselves, but um, she, especially my other sisters, but she can't and she really needs our support. Um, and my kind of belief is that if you invest the time now, it's going to be easier in the long run. Um, as you know, as I build my own life and family and all that stuff, it'll, I'm hoping it'll be a little bit easier. Mm. But I guess um, as you were growing up and as she was growing up, um, the family kind of provided a bit more support for her than than for um, you or your other sisters. Yeah, I think um, the one that really lost out on it was Vina, the younger sister. So she kind of just grew up because everyone was forever looking after Gaiana and worrying about Gaiana and, and all that stuff. So I think I feel most sorry for Vina because at least I had like um, you know, seven years without any of any sibling, uh, siblings and all that stuff. So um, I feel sorry for Vina who just kind of grew up and just grew up. We always say she just grew up um, without us really realising. Mm. How do you think that growing up with Guyana as your sister has changed you as a person, has shaped you? I once read an article that siblings of people with disabilities are among the most compassionate in our community and I really, really understand that because I feel like the siblings that I've met through through the journey but also, you know, me and my siblings, we are so hypersensitive you know we want to make sure that everything's all right we think about things that other siblings would never think about and we're always there and you know we've got this unsaid little um agreement that if something happens we're all there we always you know we have to take it in turns to dress her and feed her and make sure that she's okay and you know we have to do a lot of the thinking and um I think that that's made us very compassionate um and compassionate in our own lives and you see that when we're walking in the shops or doing something and we'll see a person with down syndrome or a disability and we will go out of our way to help or we'll smile or something like that because we're just we want other people to do the same to Guyana. When I caught up with Nip that Saturday she was wearing a bright pink hoodie with the name of her business printed on it. It wasn't for my benefit though. Rather, Nip had been working that morning because the next day was Father's Day. I think we have a few Father's Day hampers going out this afternoon, which is quite normal. I've also managed to run out to a boxing class, so it's all about balance. (laughs) What does a typical day look like for you? Uh, So a typical weekday would be waking up very early in the morning. So I'll wake up at 5.15. Um, and I'll go to the gym, exercise, and I'll come back home. And then that's when I'll be starving. So I'll eat some breakfast. And while I'm eating breakfast, I might pack Gayana's lunch or make her breakfast or make my other sister Vina her porridge or whatever it is. And then um, I'll go and wake up Gayana. And then we get ready for school and, and work and everything together. And then um, put her on the bus. And then she she goes off. And meanwhile, I'm kind of multitasking and replying to emails and all that stuff. And then sometimes I might have to drop Vina off at school, which is just down the road. So I'll, because I'm already dressed, I'm the only one dressed already ready to go. So I'll get that job. 
and then I um, come back into the office and settle into emails and my list of things to do. Um, so I have a very big unread email list quota. Um, so I try and make a dent in that, but often it doesn't work. And then it's about looking at the orders for the day at Gigi's Flowers and seeing what needs to go out and getting my staff on board and, you know, and making sure that everything, all the flowers get made so that and what time they need to come and all that stuff. And then sometimes, you know, I might have to go to a few meetings or I might have to deliver a talk, which is quite um, often. So I'll go and do, deliver that and, you know, do whatever. I try and pile all my meetings in one day so that I'm when I'm out and about, I'm just out and about so that I'm not ruining the continuous flow when there's a rare day that I don't have to go anywhere. And then um, I come home and then sometimes I take, you know, I'll do more work and take flowers out or do whatever, talk to my employees, pay them, do all that stuff. And then it'll be the night time and then either if I haven't been to the gym in the morning, I'll go to the gym or I'll take Ayana to the gym. I might have to go to like an event or something like that and then... Um, I'll work a little bit more until it's about 12 o'clock and then I'll go to bed and then rinse and repeat. <laughs> full day. Very full, day. full day. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess I was um, surprised to hear you say that uh, you take Guyana to school. She's 18 now, right? Yes. Well, I don't take her to school. She catches a bus from here, but it's ah. a special needs bus. But I still dress her, which, yeah. you know, for an 18-year-old, you generally don't have to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just had the um, idea in my mind that um, Guyana was just sort of here at home helping out, you know, with Gigi's flowers and putting together flowers and going around doing deliveries with you during the day. Yeah, right. So that's next year. She finishes ah, school next year. I see. Um, but for the moment, she is still at school and then... Um, the pressure will be on. So that's what I've been working at for the last three years is to build her a job and build her clients so that she can just walk into a job next year. Okay. So what do you hope for her for next year as such? Um, I want her to be able to work with us for about two days a week and then the rest of the days I want her to work somewhere else because um, I don't think that working with your sister and your mum is the best thing and she'll probably get sick of us and we'll get sick of her. So it's important for them to any, you know, any person to have time away from their family as well. So I hope to find her a job somewhere else in, in the community, but also then provide an employment opportunity for someone else that would otherwise not have one. So you were 20 when you helped to start Gigi's Flowers. Mm -hmm. How did you feel at the time? I mean, did you think that, you know, oh, I'm only 20. Am I too young to be starting a business? No, look, credit must go where credit is due, and that's to my stepmom, Geetha. She was the one that went off, you know, she was a special needs teacher and went off and did floristry classes and then came back and, and started the business. And that's when I kind of caught wind of it. And the journal in me and the comms person in me really knew that it was a great story. So I did the words and I did the social media and the advertising and the marketing and all that, and we just really, you know, took Canberra by storm because we really shook it up. Um, so I actually never saw myself as starting a business or an entrepreneur. I saw myself as a philanthropist. I was just investing some time into Guyana's um, future and making sure that that was stable for her as she grew older. But, yeah, so, you know, three and a half years on, I still to this day sometimes think I'm a bit too young. Um, but then sometimes I think it's great, you know, it's great that young people, young people bring a whole different dimension to um, entrepreneurship and business and, and procurement and all that. So I'm really proud to be part of 
of that cohort. Mm. You mentioned about employees and so forth. Um, at what point did you guys start to take on employees? So we had Guyana and um, our first Valentine's Day, it was just me driving and Guyana delivering. And then the, then the next time, Mother's Day, we employed our first employees. Um, and every year we employ one more for each occasion, which is great. Okay. And it's a huge achievement for us. Mm. And do you help to manage them or? Yes. So I do quite a lot of the management, um, but I definitely do like the pay and, and all that too. Mm. And admin and, you know, checking all of their details and stuff. Okay. What did you understand about managing staff before you started doing it? I had no idea. I still have no idea, you know. Even stuff like legalities, like tax and stuff, I just... Still, I'm really, really dusty with it all, but I've learned as I go and I've forced myself to learn and I've taught myself and I've Googled almost everything, but that's how you learn. Mm. What's your main approach to managing staff? So my main approach is to always be flexible. I think that with flexibility comes a degree of respect and a degree of compatibility. I think I need flexibility from them because sometimes, you know, you have lots of flower orders and sometimes you don't have any, but... Um, they need flexibility from me and sometimes it's not flexible you know you can't change valentine's day but you have to do what you can Um, but also being open and honest because a lot of my employees well they all have special needs so it's being it's important that they tell us what their triggers are and stuff so we can manage the situation Mm. so i haven't admittedly spent very much time around people with special needs so i'm wondering what you mean by what their triggers are um so Generally, a person, sometimes a person with special needs will have a trigger that triggers them and it might, you know, cause them to um, burst out loud or it might cause them to be very upset or whatever. Like I know Guyana's triggers are very loud environment. She can't stand, stand loud environment. She can't stand magpies. She can't stand loud crying babies. So it's about reducing those triggers so that she doesn't have a full on meltdown. If we can understand our employees' triggers, like one of our employees' legs, he hates cameras. I can't even whip out my phone camera. Um, So it's about managing those and making sure that cameras don't turn up when he's there. And if so, we need to pre-warn him and, you know, and tell him he doesn't need to come in and et cetera, et cetera. I'll readily admit that I'm a bit awkward and slightly uncomfortable discussing people with special needs, and I think you can hear that as I'm talking with Nip. I don't have special needs, and I've rarely been around people with special needs or their families or carers, so I'm really conscious about coming off as patronising or otherwise saying the wrong thing. With that in mind, I asked Nip what she thinks is the best possible life society can provide for people with special needs. And she started off by saying an inclusive but friendly life. It doesn't take much from us just to be friendly and caring and compassionate. And I think that that's really important. But I also think, obviously this is my business hat on, is procurement. Procurement is so important, you know, buying your stuff socially, ensuring that people with special needs, vulnerable members of our society are looked after because this isn't a handout. Um, it's a hand up and it's about equipping them with the with the skills and the tools, whether that's 
knowledge or whether that's belief in themselves um, to do it. Mm. But it would be nice to be able to provide the opportunities to give them meaningful work and and those sorts of things. Yeah, for sure. I have a very strong belief that um, economic dependence and you know being financially viable in life is really important and has a lot to do with happiness and um, being able to kind of get yourself out of a rut. Sometimes you can have a lot of money and you can still be really unhappy, but also you can have no money and it's a barrier. So I know a lot of people say money doesn't make the world go around, but sometimes it really does. So, um, but I think that, you know, you have, your head has to be right. You have to have the right outlook and the right excitement for life to be able to have a great life. So downstairs there is a giant novelty check um, (laughs) that was awarded to you for winning the Australia Post Regional Pitch Fest. I believe you were both the judge's pick as well as being the people's choice. Yes, that's right. So the pitch that you brought to the table was um, had to do with GD Slows but also a new hamper business? Yes. So I entered the Australia Post Regional Pitch Fest a few months ago and I didn't think much of it. And then um, I was amazed to become a state finalist and flew over to Melbourne and did a lot of training and stuff and then came back to Canberra and then pitched in front of a live audience and a panel and won. And I won the audience choice. And then I went over to Wagga a few weeks ago and competed in their finals. Unfortunately, I didn't win at the national level. Um, but I got some great clients through the doors who are committed to buying our hampers. So what what is the hampers business or hampers idea and how does that connect to Gigi's Flowers? So uh, um, Hampers with a Purpose is um, socially conscious gift hampers where all items are procured by social enterprises around Australia and then packed and designed and delivered by people with special needs right here in Canberra. Um, if we're shipping it around Australia, um, we will courier it or post it via Australia Post. The hampers are so that we're doubling our impact. You know, we're supporting existing social enterprises, especially in regional communities, but also we're then going on to employ people with special needs to be paid at award wages to pack our gift hampers. Mm. You spoke before about when Gigi Slows first started, you jumped on board to help with social media and media and all that sort of thing. And um, in the course of doing that, you've um, in a way become like the spokesperson for Gigi's Flowers. Um, so that was kind of in 2014. Mm-hmm. And um, then in 2016, you were the ACT Young Australian of the Year. Mm-hmm. So I guess in the last few years, you've had to deal with becoming kind of a public figure. At what point did you feel like you were developing a public profile? Do you know, it's really funny. I have no idea. Um, I won, before I won ACT Young Australian, I won um, Young Canberra Citizen of the Year. And that was really the beginning of it all. I never really thought what I had done was amazing. And I often say to people that I probably would have not have won the Australian of the Year title in the ACT if social enterprise um, was a bigger thing. 
see a place like Canberra, social enterprises aren't a thing and not very many people do it. Whereas in a place like Sydney and Melbourne, they'd be like, who are you? Like, do you know how many people run successful, profit-driven social enterprises that are having incredible impact? But because Canberra is a little bit behind on the social enterprise bandwagon, I think that for them it was a huge step forward. Um, and I'm really you know, so lucky to see now that so many social enterprises are coming up around, around Canberra, mm. which is great. Did it feel weird to receive these awards when you were kind of, you know, one part, although a pivotal part of this social enterprise? Yeah, to this day, it feels so bizarre to to win awards. Um, I won one on Thursday night, I think it was, and you know, and I was so surprised that I won, and I almost was a little bit sad because I wanted some of the other ladies to win because they don't get that much recognition very often, and I think the recognition is great, but also for me, it's about getting a platform to talk about the hampers and the flowers a bit more. It's not about the awards, it's about the work, and I've never done it for awards. The awards are just kind of an add-on. But what has changed in your life or what kind of happened to your life after you won the Canberra Award and then the ACT, you know, Young Australian of the Year Award and then became a national finalist for <laughs> um, for Australian of the Year? Like what kind of, what kind of changed in, in your life? I think my profile, you know, it's very rare now that we don't get stopped at the shops, especially if I have Guyana. Um, but often people want to talk to Guyana and they want to high five her. Then they ask me to take the photo, which I think is really sweet. Um, but my my life has changed vastly. And um, that's because I'm so committed to, to social enterprise that it's kind of everything I live and breathe but at the same time I sometimes need to worry remember to like step back and you know if I'm sick or something let someone else do it and and I hope to be able to welcome someone into the team because it's not about me it's it's about our employees and it's about ensuring they have meaningful employment and however however I do that I need to do that very efficiently and um, at the moment I sometimes worry I'm not doing it very efficiently and there's a lot of double handling because, you know, we're just a two-man show and Geeth is always busy doing flowers um, and so a lot of it kind of falls down onto me. Mm. You do a lot of talks these days. Do you ever get nervous doing these speeches? No, there's only about twice that I've been really super nervous and one was a pitch fest in ACT and one was I did um, a big gala ball, an entrepreneur's gala ball in Melbourne a few weeks ago um, and I was so nervous because, you know, for me, I've gone from talking about my business um, quite openly, which is fine, to having people judge it and judge my business and judge me and judge my sister and that's something that I really struggle with. So I get nervous about that stuff but I feel like media is great for us because of what we're doing um, but not necessarily any media but because we're doing such a positive thing like you can't fault what we're doing it would be impossible to write something horrible about us because you know we've never done anything bad you're in a unique position because of your age I think um, in having this profile and in doing all these talks so as a 24 year old and also but you've been doing these speeches for the last kind of almost two years now um, you're talking to a lot of people who are much much older than you mm. how does it feel to do that I think sometimes I feel like the older people are nicer 
you know i feel like sometimes maybe your own age group and stuff they may be tearing you to shreds or saying really awful things um but the older people are genuinely happy for you and genuinely want you to succeed and i think that that's that's really nice but i do see that you know i might deliver a keynote to a public service agency and there's thousands of older employees but it's about you know they're the ones as consumers it's about um, empowering them and they're the ones that have the money to spend money on my gift hampers and stuff and they want to but i actually find that amongst our clients it's the gen y's that are you know more socially conscious and more concerned about the impacts and stuff like that they're who would buy our flowers in in the first go mm. have you always been a confident person Yes, I have. I mean, I have my moments. I don't like conflict. I'm not very confident when it comes to conflict. And and sometimes I, um, I'd really hate confrontation, but I have always been quite confident. And I think I acquired that from my dad. Um, he's a car salesman. He can sell anything and um, he has the gift of the gab. And I think I've kind of acquired that as well. It's funny though, confidence like in myself and in what I do and what we're doing is quite high there. But as per usual, you know, I have the same um, problems with confidence when it comes to body image or whatever it might be that any of my friends or family or anyone would have. But I think that it's important to kind of keep yourself grounded and and work on something every day. Mm. It's interesting that you mentioned body image because there are people who don't feel confident just in life and talking to people and certainly not talking to, you know, big crowds. I mean, I doubt, I don't know how many people get to do that, but, um, but a lot of their confidence does stem from appearance or, you know, perceived attractiveness or unattractiveness, whatever it might be. Where do you think confidence comes from? I don't know, but I definitely know it's not from, um, I like, I don't think I have great but I know I don't have great body image and I, I'm not confident in that and stuff. But actually, and there may be little voices in my head that when it comes to like, say, dating or something like that, would go, oh, you can't do that. You know, you're not ready for that or you don't want to do it when you look like that or whatever. But it's funny, it never happens when I'm delivering a keynote about my business or about the work we do or about inclusion or anything like that. It never happens. Um, and I actually never thought about it like that, but it's, it's quite interesting that, it, it plays out like that. And I think that's because, you know, I totally 100% back the business and I believe in what the business is doing and, and I know the capabilities of the business and I'm removing myself out of it. It's, it's not about me. It's the business and it's about what, yes, I've worked very hard for it, but so has Mestem and Geetha and so has Guyana and we've all worked really hard on it. So it's, um, it's a little bit removed away from my body image per se. Mm. Do you feel like you've taken on a lot of responsibilities as a young age and do you feel like any kind of pressure in being such a public figure at the age that you are? Um, I don't. I, um, I often, you know, I really enjoy that. I sometimes worry that I might do something wrong and everyone's going to tear me to shreds and stuff. But I think that within my, um, what I've done is I've always been really, um, upfront and I believe in being really upfront so I think that if I messed up I would just throw my hands up in the air and say I've messed up I'm you know it's a mistake and mistakes happen and I try really hard to do that and I try if you can be really genuine and if you can be really honest and upfront I think that quite often fellow human beings will will let you go and um 
you know, let you off with it. And I think it's only the torture that you create yourself that's really quite jarring. Mm. I've, I've heard you describe yourself as being a very lucky person. In what way do you feel lucky? It's funny because I don't believe, I don't really believe in luck because I feel like um, a lot of what we do and like a lot of what I've done is the result of a lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifices. Um, Sacrifices is a big word for me because, you know, I've sacrificed a lot um, to do this. So I don't necessarily believe in luck, but I do believe in hard work and, and putting your money where your mouth is. And, you know, I often sometimes get really... I want people to do great things. It's funny, I expect that from my family and my friends and everything, and I have to get my head around the fact that sometimes people just don't want to do that, and that's okay too. Um, but it's not about luck. It's it's about hard work. Mm. What things do you think you've sacrificed? Um, I think, you know, I sacrificed pay. It's a big, 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 big thing. So I left my great paying job at the Australian National University about... It's about two and a half years, I think probably going on three years now. And, um, you know, if I count the salary, because um, I wasn't getting a salary at Gigi's and I still kind of continue to, I don't get a salary, but I do make up my money via speaking. But it's probably I make up one quarter of what I used to earn. So if I look at, if I tally up the three years of salary, you know, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars that you've sacrificed. Um And, you know, I think like I sacrificed um, a bit of my youth as well. I believe that if I kind of had a job and a full-time paying job, I would go off and go on holidays and venture the world and stuff like that. But that's really hard in a small business. You can't do that. You can only do it over Christmas time and and stuff like that. And there's just not very much flexibility. Um, But I'm very lucky. My stepmom, Geetha, picks up a lot of the pieces for me, um, you know, when I'm out and about. But I'm still out and about traveling for GGs to talk about GGs and trying to get us more and more opportunities. so yeah so I do believe I've sacrificed money I've sacrificed you know just little things like super like I don't I won't have super for the last three years and and stuff like that but also I sacrifice a lot of my own time and my own friendships um because I'm constantly busy and constantly on the go and constantly trying to fit everything in around the business that you know sometimes you let things slip by the wayside but I don't know eye on the prize (laughs) It's interesting to hear you talk about financial sacrifice because earlier on we were discussing um, economic independence for people's special needs. It's funny, isn't it? It's funny that I then um, gave up my economic independence, but I had economic independence because you know also while I worked, uh, when I worked full time, I saved up a lot of my money. So that got me through a lot of the time and it kind of gives me a bit of a fire within to try and make this business work because I've sacrificed so much and I just need it to, to, to work so that I can give them economic independence and I can give myself economic dependence. I don't know how that's going to look. I might go back to work and juggle the business or I might, you know, be able to find a way somewhere else or I don't know what it's, how it's going to look like. Um, but I think that setting up economic independence for Guyana now will mean that I'll have economic independence in the future. We started to wrap up our conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to say? No. 
even though there was one more point I wanted to talk through with Nip. You've covered a depth of questions, so... And when she seemed open to chatting further... Did you have anything? I thought I'd take the opportunity to broach it. I mean, I guess, um... What I wanted to ask Nip had to do with the range of challenges her family had experienced in recent months. I wanted to know what the impact had been on her in taking on a greater load, both in practical terms and emotionally. She hadn't gone into detail about it when we first caught up, but from what she'd described, it seemed like she'd had to take on more than what your regular 24-year-old should have to deal with. I probably had it all wrong, and I was most likely just projecting onto her my experiences of having had to deal with quite adult things at too early an age. But I thought I'd bring it up anyway. Become the adult in the family and, you know, do a lot more than, than what you've been used to. So I do have a lot of things that rely on me. Um, my family is quite sick and they have been quite sick, but more so my dad has been quite uh, sick recently and we've had some really quite bad luck come our way but I think that we're just about to turn a corner and um, you know I hope that as a family we have done so many great things and we always kind of put ourselves last and I hope that that come I really do believe in come I hope that come and comes um, but the responsibility that I felt has been crazy and through the roof um, but I hope that as things kind of die down, because it's hard, you're juggling, you know, you constantly feel like you're juggling a hundred things. Um, and sometimes you just have to go, right, I'm going to stop putting so much pressure on myself. And, you know, perfection is never going to be a thing. And I'm quite comfortable with imperfection. Um, and I think that when you're going through a really hard patch, you just have to become okay and you have to become flexible and, and fluid. And I think that it's been a great learning curve for me, but also in, in my life, you know, we've had some awful, awful people come into our lives. And I think for my sisters and I, it's been a really big learning curve. And I know that we will never make those same mistakes because we're a little bit wiser. And it's sad that we had to go through that at such a young age, but it's made us stronger and more agile people. Mm. So have you kind of had to be like the anchor in the family? Yeah, you know, I think that Guyana is actually our anchor, which is really funny. Um, she is what really unites us and we're doing this, you know, yes, it's just mine and Geetha's business, but my sisters, we're all helping wherever we can. And I think that that's quite important for us to do. So we're united by her. So she's our anchor and she all keeps us grounded and we all come together. We might be doing our own things, but we always come together and she is that anchor. Um, but I think in terms of t keeping things ticking, yeah, a bit of responsibility fell down on me, but also um, Geetha, you know, she's had to deal with a lot too. So we try and balance it. Mm. Do you think that starting this business has been really healthy for the family and for all your relationships? Yes, I think so. I think, you know, it's we have never worked so hard. And we often say to my dad, oh, my God, see how much we are peddling for a $5 profit, like, you know, one bunch of flowers, a $5 profit, whereas, you know, he sells cars and there's much more than a $5 profit in it. Um, but it has really brought us together. It's I feel like it's kind of changed the landscape of um, people's perceptions because we're 
of color. We are, we're born in Canberra, but we were, you know, we, people see that we're a little bit different and then we have a little girl that's a little bit different and there's a lot of different there. But we're actually just your everyday family, your Australian everyday family that are just trying to make the world a little bit of a better place. So, yes, it's united us, but I actually think it might have united other people too in, in sharing our story. Like our Facebook page has so much great attraction and people are commenting and liking and everything all the time. And for us, it's quite important because they feel like they're part of our family and we've opened our family for them. Um, so, yeah. Okay. You're changing the world one flower at a time. Absolutely. One flower and gift tamper at a time. I've changed it to now. <laughs> You've been listening to Love, Canberra. Tell your friends, tell your florist about the show. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. The theme music is by Proletar. Details for the interstitial music are in the show notes. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.